Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on the Sunday podcast, Grace Hockey. Grace, I had a wonderful conversation on Tuesday with a friend of the show, a legend in their own right. And we're going to do, I think, a, a series of conversations about a number of things. One of them is how to sign up for Patreon, because this person told me they have been trying to sign up for our Patreon for a while, but it is too complicated. So I am going to do a little bit of research and figure out exactly how to make that process work. We don't obviously control Patreon, but this person and I are going to, I'm going to walk them through how to sign up for Patreon in an episode because this was their idea. Um, But that'll be one episode coming up with this person over the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. If you are confused about how Patreon works, we have something in the cooker for you. And it'll be we'll be sharing the details about that very, very soon as they all get ironed out. But very excited about bringing this person into the Broadway radio family officially, even though they've been a part of it for a very, very long time. So not to be cryptic, not to pull one of Grace's NDA things like you talked about on yesterday's episode, Grace. But, you know, I don't like to talk about interviews until they actually happen because they can fall through. And I don't like to promise things that don't uh, occur. But I think we feel pretty good about this one. And it'll be coming to you in the next couple weeks. If you want to hear everything that we do, even before you find out how to sign up, you can head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. Now, Grace, we've talked a lot about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, I feel like, lately with cast changes and national tours. But between that, Stranger Things coming to the stage and a number of other pretty big name action movie-ish type type properties coming to the stage, there's been a little bit of a movement towards this type of screen-to-stage adaptations. We got another one yesterday as it was announced that The Hunger Games would make a stage debut in London in the fall of 2024. The first book of Suzanne Collins's Hunger Games trilogy will be adapted by Girl from the North Country writer Connor McPherson. It'll be directed by Matthew Dunster, who did 222, A Ghost Story, which you saw in London. There's not a lot of details, but what was reported on Tuesday, it is going to be the first book in the series. So if you've seen the first film starring Jennifer Lawrence, that is what it's about. It's a dystopian future in which there's a lottery and each district has to put up somebody, a child to participate in a televised death match. And one girl volunteers to be tribute to save her younger sister. Grace, are you a... A Hunger Games person like I've seen. Okay. Not at all. I think I've seen the first two movies. I don't think I saw three and four because they took the last book and split it up. Just to note, they do have a prequel film based off of a prequel book that was done coming out on November 17th, starring Tom Blythe and Rachel Zegler. So that is called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So that is continuing this Hunger Games world. But we've talked quite a bit about stage musical adaptations of like big fun movie comedies or even not even comedies, but these more actiony type things, they seem to be taking on uh, a little bit of momentum. Grace, what do you think it is about shows like cursed child about the stranger things um, thing that we've talked about? There's obviously even been, you know, like a Lord of the Rings musical and, and, and things like that. What do you think it is about this kind of different genre of adaptation that seems to not be like, the thing that everybody's doing, but it is starting to kind of seem to, to gain a little bit more traction than it has in the recent past. 
I mean, theater is the last thing to make money on. These are multi-million dollar franchises. Like you start with a book and then you do a film. And then 10 years later, you try to put something on stage. Like, I literally think that that is the track record. If it's not already having a presence at some theme park, then it probably will. But most of those things started as a book. They did a film franchise about five years later. And then about 10 or 15 years later, they're at least in a theme park. And then after that, what is the last thing to make money on? Probably a theatrical release. So that to me is is the formula. Uh, I don't really, that's such a, like, can you tell that I have had no sleep? I feel like I'm I'm not myself. A little cynical. It's okay. Uh, But, but I don't think I'm wrong. You're not. You know, it's also artistic. Like it is also a part of fandom in a sense of like, there are other ways to explore a story that has been told. And I think that that is what we are seeing with Stranger Things. They're doing a prequel. That is what we're seeing with Cursed Child. It is a prequel. Like we're seeing sequel, a sequel. Sequel. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're so right. Uh, but they do go back in time. Spoiler. Uh, yeah. But I think that there's some creative exploration that gets to happen there. It's not a regurgitation of what has been already written immediately. This is something that is new and that is fresh and that is exciting for the people that do love those uh, things that they love about that franchise. So I understand like it has a lot of artistic merit. I'm not poo-pooing it at all. Um, I think we hear a lot of times like, you know, uh, I just wish something was original. Guess what? Nothing is original. Almost every Sondheim piece you've yes. ever loved came from something else. Please stop. Literally you know? every one of them. Yeah. Um, look at me turning a cold-hearted bitch. Um, but I think that uh, I think that it's really exciting to see that people are able to continue to love the thing that they love, and that is also what we love about theater. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. It is, it is almost certainly motivated by money. But I am interested by these things. I think it. it pushes especially with what we saw with cursed child and even spider-man turn off the dark where both of those properties and presumably stranger things uh, to come as well kind of pushed the technological and and creative aspects of what we were had been doing in theater obviously spider-man had far more disastrous results with that than cursed child did but both of them really pushed the envelope of what we are used to seeing on a theatrical stage and and hopefully something like this and i will note that uh, they released members of the creative team miriam buther will be doing the scenic design costume design will be by moy train choreography by charlotte broom and then so on and so forth but the last credit does say that performer flying will be by suspended illusions. So I feel like this is going to be another one that really does kind of push the boundaries of what we are used to seeing in a stage play. And I think that's only good, even if there are more cynical forces at foot that lead to the creation of these shows. Sometimes there can be some really good and compelling artistic developments and and achievements because of that. And that's something to be excited about no matter what the case is. All right. Yesterday, we got some Broadway show and casting news. We already talked about the fact that Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford will play their final performances in Sweeney Todd on Broadway on January 14th. But before that, Gaten Matarazzo will be departing the show. He is currently playing Toby. He has shared that his final performance will be November 5th. That's in like two weeks. There is no replacement that has been announced as of yet. I do wonder, Grace, if this has to do with the potential ending of the SAG after strike and they've got to finish season five of Stranger Things. That would be my guess at this point. 
because it was such a last minute announcement that, okay, it looks like they are finally, potentially, hopefully, knock on wood, going to get some sort of decision done here with the AMPTP. And that means they've got to finish this big, massive Netflix thing before everybody gets to be like 30 years old and they're still playing teenagers. Yeah, they got to. He's got to get out of there. It, it totally makes <laughs> sense. I saw that announcement. And I went, ooh, what does that mean? Yeah. So yeah, it could be very exciting. I feel like Jacob Tremblay is going to come in to this role or something. There's going to be ooh. another. Am I am I cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Is that like a good call? Uh, I mean, I have no idea if he can sing or not, but I don't care. I, mean, that... I don't care. Put him in. There's people that can't do accents. Put them in. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, there's a lot of that in that show. Yeah, I mean, but he he's 17. So like at this point, he would be great. I, man, if he OK, if he comes in and we were deprived of having Jacob Tremblay on Broadway at the same Not- time as a adaptation of Room. Room. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really going to be disappointed, really disappointed if that happens. But um, either way, great one. If that ends up happening, like, are you, this is that was just something off the top of your head. That's not an inside scoop or anything. No, nobody plays a trapped child better than Jacob Tremblay. Let him do it. Right. That's what I'm saying. OK, if that happens, you officially I will give up my crystal ball <laughs> forever and give it to you. Uh, all right, Grace, here's a story that I feel like maybe might get you excited. We've recently talked about the fact that Elle Fanning is going to make her Broadway debut in the cast of Brandon Jacob Jenkins's Appropriate. We already know that Corey Stoll and Sarah Polson, Natalie Gold, and Alyssa Emily Marvin will be in the show, but yesterday they announced the complete cast, and they include Everett Sobers, Graham Campbell, Lincoln Cohen, and here's the person who I think might make you excited, Grace, but I'm not 100% sure. Michael Esper. Are you on the Michael Esper train here? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not absolutely see American Idiot and Lazarus and almost everything else? Like, yes, of course. Okay, that's what I figured. Um, He, of course, played Will in the original Broadway production of American Idiot. He played Valentine in the New York Theater Workshop production of Lazarus and then also did it over in London. He is... Uh, he's done a ton of work over in, in the UK. He's an American, but he's done a lot of theater over in the UK, uh, including a, a recent run of The Glass Menagerie. He was also on Broadway in The Last Ship. So lots of stage and screen stuff. He was most recently in two movies this year, Bo is Afraid and The Creator, which got a lot of press and critical love. So I'm um, excited about this one. I, I, I'm always excited about anything Brandon Jacob Jenkins related and looking forward to this one beginning performances on November 28th at the Helen Hayes Theater. It's opening night is currently set for December 18th and really hoping that I can squeeze this one in when I'm in town in December. Another show with somebody who I know you love, we had some news about yesterday, because the upcoming world premiere of Sabbath Theater from the new group has announced an extension. That show had previously been scheduled to close on December 3rd. It will now run for at least for two extra weeks through December 17th. That one is based off of the Philip Roth novel of the same name. It was adapted by John Turturro and Ariel Levy. The show stars John Turturro alongside Elizabeth Marvel and your friend Jason Kravitz. Jason Kravitz also might be somebody that you will hear from here on Broadway Radio in the very near future. So stay tuned for that one. 
All right, and then one more little bit of show and casting news here. Yesterday, Playwrights Horizons announced that it would present the New York premiere of School Pictures, a one-person show written and performed by Milo Kramer. It is going to start performances on November 8th and play through December 3rd at the Peter J. Sharp Theater. The show is described thusly, gathering observations from their time tutoring into a collection of witty, playful, and candid fictional song-poem portraits of 10 students fighting to get into competitive New York City schools. Kramer builds school pictures to a sweeping meditation of inequality, learning, parenting, and the cruelty of puberty. So if you want more information about that, check out the show notes. Now, Grace, we've talked a lot recently about like curtain times changing and the National Theater doing their whole experiment about 630 curtain times. Well, another esteemed UK theater is doing something that was going to try to make getting to and from the theater a little bit easier for patrons. The Royal Shakespeare Company is going to be setting up a pilot program for late night bus service that is designed to encourage sustainable audience uh, transportation. What they're going to do is running on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays through December 16th. Again, this is just a pilot. A last bus leaving as late as 10.30 p.m. from uh, the theater to kind of get people back to where they are going. I don't know all of the bus lines in, in the U.K., so I'm sorry that I don't understand more of these details. I don't really know how buses work here in the U.S. because I live in a suburb city. Um, I know, Grace, you are very familiar with buses in and around New Jersey. But I'm just kind of really excited about the opportunity to, like, we're thinking about how to get people into theaters by removing the barriers that generally keep them away, moving up curtain times uh, on occasion, not every time to cater to people who are finishing with work and want to go straight to the theater, giving people the opportunity to get home after a show and they don't have to worry about trying to find transportation and it's difficult. I think this is great. And I, I'm very glad that that such esteemed theater companies are taking the initiative to do this Grace, And I hope that it, you know, is very successful and then it becomes commonplace to theaters around the country and in the world. Yeah. I'm always hopeful that we can try to actually figure this stuff out instead of just hoping things change. I think that we have to change with the world. And I think after 2020, we had to do a lot of that pretty immediately with mass mandates. But I think as soon as those things started to fall a little bit, we kind of went business as usual. And I don't think that the economy is business as usual nor is our ticket buying habits. So I think that it's really exciting to see these things work overseas. Obviously, it's very different um, on Broadway, but I'm always looking. And, and I know that other, I mean, that there, there's entire companies that are doing this, but um, I'm always excited to see people at least trying something. It's a very risky endeavor, I'll say that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of financial opportunities at cost here, and it's it's a risky gamble. But when people are willing to make that gamble to learn better or worse, I'm all aboard. All right. One last little bit of news here. Yesterday, it was announced that Tony winner Marissa Jarrett Winoker will direct an industry reading of the new musical The Radium Girls. This is a show that has been kicking around for a few years now. It is going to star real life husband and wife Andy Carl along with Orfe and previous Broadway radio guests, actually, Ashley Argata Torres. The complete cast is in the show notes if you want to check that out. But it is going to take place on October 30th. There will be two different presentations, one at 1130 and one at 330. 
The show is a female-driven, horror-infused dark comedy inspired by the stories and spirits of the young women who worked the factory line at the U.S. Radium Corporation in the early 20th century. This gravely funny and implausibly tragic tale follows three girls who are lured to the factory with the promise of a better life, discover the evil lurking under the glittering surface of the radium craze, and ultimately give the patriarchy a taste of its own poison like literally. So this one has been around for a few years, kind of been working its way through the developmental process. Excited to hear all about this once they uh, get it up on its feet for an industry audience next week. I just want to toss out two things about that just because I can. (laughs) One is that this is by the uh, writing duo Amanda Dark Angelus and Sammy. And if you are not familiar with Amanda, I highly implore you to YouTube her They are an incredible composer lyricist duo, as in you are going to want to know their names. They're fucking hysterical. If you watched my Sweet Meat show, I invited Amanda to sing one of her songs. She was incredible, funny. Yes, um, I'm I'm a bit obsessed with them for a while, but this is their first notable out there project. And Cara Rose DiPietro, who if if you're on TikTok and you're on Theater Talk at all, you've seen her. She is in this cast right now. So I'm really, really eager to see whatever comes out of it. I've been hearing about Radium Girls for a while, but those composers, I think you would love their stuff. So please check that out as well. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, Amanda wrote the music. Lyrics are by Sammy Horneff and Lisa Mongillo, and uh, all three of them collaborated on the book. So very excited about that. All right, real quick, we're running late, so I'm just going to run through the Broadway grosses very quickly. We got an extra show last week, so it was 28 shows. It came in at $28,106,860. Attendance was up 4% over the previous week to come in at $224,832. Overall, of course, The Lion King was number one, the only show north of $2 million at $2,063,215. But we have a new number two. And that is Merrily We Roll Along at $1.8 million. That was followed by Wicked ramping up to its 20th anniversary, a little bit less at $1.8 million. Then Hamilton, still above $1.8 million, but all there in that range. Sweeney Todd, just seven performances, did $1.7 million. The rest of the shows north of seven figures in descending order are MJ, Aladdin, Back to the Future, Moulin Rouge, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and Juliet, A Beautiful Noise, and The Book of Mormon. Six, as usual, is the next show right beneath it. If you want to see the complete details of last week's grosses, head over to the show notes. And finally, Grace, I I, ha- I have to do this. We mentioned the fact how well Merrily We Roll Along is selling. The three stars of the show, Jonathan Groff, Daniel Radcliffe, and Lindsay Mendez, visited Stephen Colbert on Monday night. They had a couple segments, talked, uh, uh, just t- told some great stories. Apparently, Lindsay Mendez, like, does music direction on stage when the three of them are singing. Apparently they do some harmonizing and anytime Jonathan is off pitch, she will use her eyebrows to tell them that she, he uh, he's under and has to get up for it. So some very cute stories. They all talked about um, kind of like their routines and coming into the show and uh, Lindsay and uh, Stephen Colbert specifically talked about like singing Sondheim stuff in front of Sondheim, which both of them have done since Stephen Colbert was in the, New York Phil production of company that I saw in person uh, like 10, 12 years ago. So uh, a very cool interviews. We'll have both of their segment videos in the show notes, but I love this show. I love these people and I'm very excited that it is selling so well after all these years. 
All right, everybody, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW. Matt Grace, where can people find you? You can find me at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody, have a wonderful hump day, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. 